Restaurant Unstoppable episode 469 with Chef Quaid and Veronica Phil. What up, Australia? Yeah, there very much is because there's a, there's only so many hours in the day. If if we try and do everything ourselves, you, you you're very much boxing yourself in because you're trying to do everything. I can't remember where I heard this quote, but hire people that love doing the shit you hate. That really resonates with me. Yeah, exactly. Accountants, for instance. <laughs> Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval c terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic what's sorcery sorcery is ap automation digital invoicing time and money saved that's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire accounts payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. And with excitement, allow me to welcome back on the show for a second time, Chef Quaid and Ronnie, Phil, are you two feeling unstoppable today? We never stop, Eric, do we? We never stop. Very unstoppable. (laughs) Yeah, very (laughs) unstoppable. And actually, I'm feeling pretty friggin' unstoppable myself because I'm sitting in in Melbourne. I've been. I was. I was told to say Melbourne, not Melbourne. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And a special just. Thanks to, to Tipsy for flying me out here uh, and for introducing me to so many people and you guys too for introducing me to so many people. I don't know how many episodes I'm going to be able to record in the next four days, but I'm definitely going to plant some seeds. Uh, I just can't wait to, uh, man, this, this, this town, the city is awesome. It's going to be fun. But uh, if you guys haven't heard of Chef Quaid and Ronnie, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 297. That was the first episode. I'm not going to get too much into their uh their history today because we, we already went over that. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off and go deeper into what's on the horizon for these two. A lot of cool things happening in, in LA. And I also want to talk about uh, the industry in Australia. Uh, maybe some of the differences because you guys are kind of, you're familiar with the U S market. You're moving into the U S market. Yeah. So you're become familiar. Uh, and there's some differences between the U S market and the Australian market. And Australia is my third largest demographic. Uh, it's really? U S Canada and then Australia. So mm-hmm. some restaurant unstoppable listeners out there. A lot of, is that just because I listen to it? I, you, I maybe, and if that's the case, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, let's just dive into it. Before we do, though, we should probably get get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling. So, uh, what do you guys have for us? Do you want to take it first, Ronnie? With my favorite quote or mantra? Yeah, and get a little closer to the microphone. 
Uh, it's you can't fail if you haven't stopped trying yet. You can't fail if you haven't stopped trying yet. And that was the same quote you used for the first one. But I think one one mantra is a mantra, right? It's like it's not over till the fat yeah, lady sings. Exactly. But, so really lean into that and why that's so important to you. Because unless you've called it quits, then you just keep going, don't you? You can't actually you can't actually call it and say that you know, something that you've been driving for has not been a success until you've put up your hands and said, all right, I'm done. And our ethos is that we're just never done and we, I don't think we ever will be. Mm. No. Do you want to add on to that, Chef? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I think uh, basically we never sleep. We never sleep. It's, you know, we get out of bed every day and, and hit it hard, basically. There's always a million things to do and... As Ronnie said, like if if you if you don't stop trying, you can never you can never fail. So yeah, and just constantly evolving. Like you know, things come up and opportunities come up, and and we always you know grab them by the balls and, <laughs> and, and run with them. So. I think it's a personality thing as well because we're both such anxious people. Yeah. It's not even a voluntary thing. We just can't help but. Like I'm addicted to building businesses and creating new businesses every day. Yeah, and that's, that's some of the stuff I want to dive into because uh, you. I think that's a very common trait with a lot of restaurateurs is they just want to tackle the world and take on more and do more and on to the next project and on to the next project. But I mean, there's a lot of good in that. There's also a lot of ways you can get in trouble taking on too much and like spreading yourself too thin. Uh, so I think that's something that's definitely going to come up. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, like you said, you're if like the, this, this uh, idea of just taking on and just going, 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 and just running, it's a strength, but is it also a weakness? Have you found that it's a weakness? The, the, the key to it is delegating, like understanding the point where, all right. And it does, strike you in the face like a slap with a fish doesn't it Mm. like you realize one day oh my god we're scaling really really fast we actually need to hire more people we need (laughs) to we literally just need to realize all right that's our thing is we're ideas men you know (laughs) um we come up with the concept and then it's completely okay to not be the person that executes that you can just bring in the right people to fill in the gaps and fill in where, where your weaknesses are mm. and keep keep it running so that you can keep charging ahead. Yeah, I think we should just stay on the path right now that's, as far as our, dis- our discussion. Uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to start with where the, the state of the industry is in Australia, but let's just talk about where you are right now uh, because I think this is a good segue into what it's like to be opening a restaurant on the other side of the world, how you're going to be in two places in once. Uh, that, you know, it's, it's one thing opening a restaurant like down the block like you can like relocate and get there, but it's another thing to be on the other side of the world. Uh, and you're just saying like, it's, it's about delegating and like taking on new people, but how do you go about doing that? So we, we, uh, we spend a lot of time, uh, when we hire someone, it's, it's a, it's a pretty rigorous process. So the, I guess the, the, the talent pool in Australia, because, you know, we have a, a fairly small population compared to somewhere like the States. Um, so we're not exactly spoilt for choices, you know, as to how many people come and apply for positions. So, um, it's, yeah, yeah, very much so. So people that we do have, we really, really try and look after them and we actually, you know, you're talking about delegation. It actually has a, a, another flow and effect from that is that people feel responsible for the business when you're delegating and you're giving them responsibility Mm. for the business that you have. Yeah. So as opposed to micromanaging them and, you know, directing every facet of what they do, you know, you give them a bit of autonomy and it actually makes the business stronger and, Absolutely. and, and makes yeah. the team stronger. Everyone's working together, Yeah, which, you know, sounds very like scout campish, mm-hmm. but it's, 
it, it actually works really sense well. Sense of ownership. You need that sense of ownership. You yeah, don't exactly. want to just be uh, somebody who's just contributing and not getting recognized, not having any, uh, I don't know, just... I th- don't we all just want to have a, a little bit of sense of like just like pride in the work that we do and when, yeah, when you exactly. don't get to make any of those decisions or feel like you you have a, a your skin in the game like why yeah. show up you know well sp- specifically with the restaurant sorry <laughs> Ronnie wants the mic she's trying to steal it out of <laughs> Sh- hand. <laughs> specifically with the restaurant it's uh uh there you go I was just gonna say it, it's something that I think we've learned from our, from our investor Mr. Harry that um when you give people equity in the business then they've immediately got more motivation and more interest to make it you know succeed and so we try and bring people into our businesses as much as we can and make them part of it like right from the core so that they do want to build it with us yeah and just to like kind of in case you decided not to go back to episode 297 to give a little bit to shine a little bit of light on the situation uh chef owner uh of lume uh to open in 2015 uh and business partner uh who's evolved into man or like business manager, business manager, uh, Veronica, Fril, uh, Phil, uh, AKA Ronnie. Uh, so basically three years have passed since opening since, since 2015, uh, where you've been able to evolve your people. And you said you learned from your investor, uh, Harry about how to do that. So how did he, how did he teach you how to do that? I think just leading by example, really, we just, he is pretty incredible himself. He's, he actually, started out um he owns a wholesale food and beverage business that he started from his family kitchen with his wife and his brother like decades ago just like mixing dips at home and then going around to the local deli up the road and selling it there and then it's scaled into this you know national business they've got about soon to be international soon to be they're selling in china and i find that really really inspiring um and He's the investor behind Lume as well because he just naturally decided to branch out into hospitality as well. And I think just from watching the way that he's done that from scratch, he was almost like the original kind of growth hacker. Yeah. So what without is realizing. So what, what have you learned specifically about what he does and how he grows a business? Because he's not very involved with Lume, right? No, no. Um, I've Personally, I've learned lean management. Like he knows how to... I guess, get a product up and running, not spending, wasting too much time mm-hmm. thinking about it and knowing when to just like get it out there, test the market. If it fails, fail fast and mm. keep moving. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, specifically, we we're talking about how he's learned, uh, you learn from him that, you know, how to delegate and how to bring people and give them roles and responsibility. I mean, be specific. What are some of the key things you picked up watching him? How does he do that? I think it's basically just giving, like, as I was saying, giving the right people opportunities mm. so you know he, he's our investor in, in the restaurant and um i met him maybe six months before we opened actually it's probably longer than that but we just had a lot of conversations and you know we obviously went over the business plan and all that sort of thing but he actually gave us a huge opportunity without really knowing me that well you know i obviously presented a really strong case yeah. but i think that's what he does in all aspects of his business he gives people opportunities it's like sink or swim you either sink or you swim and if you swim like we keep going you never know where and what opportunity is going to come up he hires on personality mm. not on experience so yeah. i think he just looks for people who have the drive it sounds a lot like he he trusts his gut he meets people he he knows how to recognize talent in other yeah, people so. and he's yeah. like this is an opportunity for them and it's an opportunity for me yeah. um so t- given that 
we've extracted these lessons. How, how are you applying that to your situation today? Like first, when did you even know that you were in the position to open another location? How'd you know? That's why everyone should have a restaurant economist on the team. (laughs) 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 So I I went over to the NRA show last year. Um, That's for Australian audiences, that's not the National Rifle Association. That's the National Restaurant <laughs> Association. Sorry. Yes. I actually found out that you were out there. I was out there too, and I found out like halfway through the, the trade show that you were there, and I was trying to cross paths with you. You did get to talk, though. Yeah. You to meet the guys there, so that's good. Um, Sorry, keep going. I was out there, and I did a quick stopover in LA just because that's where the plane was stopping, and I thought, oh, I'll stay here a few days and check it out as a tourist. Yeah. And I very, very quickly saw the opportunity there. Um, and again, just thinking like an economist, there was so much traction building that you, you can just smell it. Like there is so much investment being put into that area at the moment. They've got the Olympics coming. You're seeing just in terms of market trends, you're seeing all of these big restaurateurs from overseas, like all kind of being magnetized to that area at Mm -hmm. the moment and we just realized even just talking to people about where I was from and our own restaurant in Melbourne people were so open to it and so excited by the multi-sensory concept about what we do because we're a bit I think we're still seen as a bit out there over here whereas where I was in Hollywood at the time they were just like that sounds amazing and I thought god you know we'd go gangbusters if we were over there um and I just kept hounding and hounding Sean about it when I got home because it just kept growing on me and like analysing the area just in terms of property rents, in terms of the access to produce, labour costs. It's, yeah, access, like, and I think a lot of that career hospitality pool as well because in Australia we really struggle. Yeah. Um, I think there's not the same level of hospitality professionalism in Australia in that people aren't attracted to it as a long-term career prospect they see it as a very short-term thing whereas I noticed that in the states it's taken quite seriously as a real option and people more and more so I feel like Mm. uh but it still could be a lot better absolutely absolutely but for us it was a huge opportunity so I came home and suggested it to Sean and he just said no fucking way (laughs) (laughs) um and then I finally dragged him over there to see and I think we did a well Sean did a collaboration dinner with Ludo from Troy Mac last November and he was just sold like I'm pretty sure you loved it didn't you so Sean what what sold you on this opportunity I I think uh the market opportunities there as Ronnie said are very very attractive so we've been wanting to do another place for a while and, you know, we've been looking around Melbourne, looking in Cindy, but, you know, there's no reason to look overseas because the world's such a small place. Like, it's very, very easy to be very fluent across businesses online, on the cloud, however you want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just a plane ride away. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's just conversing with people in another country. But, but what is it that you loved about LA? Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, the, the market in Australia is very tough. Like, I think if you can run a restaurant, a successful restaurant here, you can pretty much do it anywhere. So, you know, high rent, high wages. Uh, the wages here are, are ridiculously high, which is good for employees, but not so much for running a small chef-run restaurant, 50 mm-hmm. seats. So I think, uh, you know, the States is a very attractive opportunity because the wages are... Um, you know, they're lower and the price of food is lower, the rent's a lot lower and 
um, the amount of people that actually, you know, the population is much, much higher. Like where Australia is a very, very big country, but the population is very small. That's spread, you know, yeah. between a few different cities. Um, what we noticed in LA was just how massive the market is. There's just room for everyone. So in Australia, I think it can get a bit competitive. But what I loved about going over there was that everyone was so excited to welcome us and it's more this mentality of like oh hey you want to do this thing awesome like come and join us we should all do this thing and oh, that's cool. we should all succeed it's yeah like, yeah they're very very embracive i think that's in your culture is very embracive of new things which isn't that what capitalism is though i feel like, like yeah. pushing the envelope and like trying new things and and looking for new opportunity in exactly, different places exactly yeah. and you know we don't necessarily I don't want to say anything bad about Australian culture, but we don't necessarily have... We can get into that. I think that's going to be the second part of the conversation, so we can put that on ice for now. Uh, Originally, the the question was, how did you know, uh, you know, or how did you delegate, and how how are you... Did you know it was time to move to another location? I think it was when we realized we were getting more articles written about us by media in the States than we were in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) So you have kind of like a following developing in that market, so you might as well go to the market that appreciates you. Yeah, there's certain aspects of the business that, you know, we want to push more and more, and it's not necessarily um, what does well well in Australia. Okay, so So you're going to go to... That's a good point. I think a lot of people... uh, There's a certain thing you want to do. Sometimes you say, you know, be number one at one thing, or the other, if, if, if you can't be number one at one thing where you are, or you kind of are, I feel like you are, but the market's still not here to support you, then go to where the market will, will appreciate what you want to do, you know? And uh, I think, you know, we do, we do what we do at Lume, but we also have all these other things that we want to achieve. And it's just not it's, a video. Yeah, exactly. So Lume, the, you know, the, the food style and the style of service and the style of the restaurant at Lume is, is you know, it's very Australian. It's very... You know, it's relaxed, but it's professional and, you know, the food is modern Australian, lots of native ingredients and and local produce and all that sort of thing. But that's not all of who we are. We have other things to say. So Mm -hmm. that's why, you know, we want to stay. Sean's dream is actually to have an ice cream truck. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) You can do a lot with ice cream. Uh, I just had Jenny Britton Bauer on the show not too long ago. Oh, wow, cool. And yeah, and she's crushing. Like, like, there's so much creativity there. Yeah. There's not a lot of people doing it to the same level that she and you could potentially do it. Yeah. Uh, Because your background is pastry and, like, dessert. So that's right up your alley. Yeah. I've actually looked into doing a... uh, ice cream business before we did Blue if you May. want an introduction to jenny let me know i'll see if i can make it happen <laughs> jenny I'm, I'm gonna i'm i'm shooting you this episode yeah. <laughs> all right um but yeah that's a good point it's 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 one aspect of of what i want to do personally and i think you know what better place to do it than the and states like the land of opportunity yeah exactly. i just want to be a mogul a mogul of, yeah i just really like that word an ice cream mogul any mogul just (laughs) (laughs) or a despot so okay we kind of identified why uh la and and the opportunities and going to where the work you want to do will be appreciated uh but to kind of bring it back to how how are you gonna i see it all the time and this is something a challenge that comes up all the time in the show uh you are going from one location to two locations and when you take your attention off of location one to focus on location two location one falls to shit uh, so how what are you, what things are you doing knowing this uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen? So it's always been important to me that uh, Lume is not just me, and it's obviously not just me. We have fifteen staff that work work here, 
And every single person that works here is just as important as what I do and what Ronnie does because without one of them, the whole machine breaks down. So it's hiring the right people. It's hiring the right people to, you know, actually create the vision that we've got in our head. And when you have the right people that come in, you give them, as we're saying before, you give them the opportunity, you give them the responsibility and make them a part of it. Mm-hmm. And they're always going to bend over backwards to actually make the business successful. So we've actually got a really, really good team at the moment and we've been really, really fostering that that team environment and uh, I think that we should point well I think we should point out that it's not just like oh just hire the right people it's a constant yeah like unwavering mission like you it takes a long time to train people to the point that like you're happy to walk away just so, for five minutes yeah I mean we, we it's I don't think it's enough just to say that you, you have good people so let's really dive into that like how do you know your people are ready to handle this it's I don't think you ever do it's that classic Danny Meyer salt shaker analogy Um, we just need to be prepared that like you always need to step back in and just that's your job as a manager to keep stepping back in and getting like yeah setting the table steering everything back centering the 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 salt shaker and centering the table yeah but it's it's giving uh you know the people that have worked for us for a long time so like my head chef eileen who i've worked with since 2010 okay in a few different businesses um so she's head chef here at the moment she runs the kitchen like i i don't run the kitchen i'm the you know the creative whatever you want to call me and um that's that's my job her job is to actually run the kitchen so i'm extremely extremely confident to i think there's a huge lesson here and just in that idea of like you're the executive chef chef owner Mm. uh and you just said that you do not run the kitchen which i think is amazing that you recognize where your strength is which is on the creative side and you've replaced yourself with somebody who is that manager type yeah uh i think i think we feel almost like we have to be the person in charge i mean you are in charge you are the the boss but at the end of the day like it's there's so much value in replacing yourself with people who are better at yeah there very much is because there's there's only so many hours in the day if if we try and do everything ourselves you you, you're very much boxing yourself in because Mm -hmm. you're trying to do everything I can't remember why I heard this quote, but hire people that love doing the shit you hate. That really <laughs> yeah. resonates with me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Accountants, for instance. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. So, for example, I hate organizing stuff. I'm, pr- I'm fairly organized, but Eileen is a complete, you know, organizational nut and she's very, yeah. very efficient. So, And I'm very bossy, so that and helps. And you're extremely bossy as well. So... <laughs> You both keep me in check, <laughs> um, but it, it frees like it frees me up to do what I'm good at, and you know you're good at economizing, economizing, <laughs> yeah. recognizing opportunities. I'm good at yeah. yeah, I'm good at being efficient, recognizing opportunities, just the stuff that I think I fill a lot of gaps in the restaurant that I think normally in hospitality just get left behind um people don't think about you know how can we make this process more efficient just from the financial side i want to dive into that but first i want to close i I want to close the thought here and the cool thing is uh i feel like you have been prepared and ready to open location to for years now because you've had these people in these these spots who they're basically running the restaurant without you already i think that's the goal is get to get to the point where you are are a part of the restaurant creativity like your, your creativity is there mm. um but at the same time like you, you've already removed yourself enough to the point where it doesn't need you 
and that you can't open location two until you've gotten to that point, uh, which exactly. is, the, I think, the key thing there. I think you, you realize that when, because Sean is often anxious when he, if we go away for a few days, yeah. then he gets really, really anxious about that the restaurant's burning down yeah. or something. <laughs> but by the time we get back, you almost seem a bit kind of deflated because <laughs> everything's run perfectly without you. <laughs> oh, you guys don't need me? Yeah, they oh. need you. <laughs> it, has, it has been a big change of, of, uh, of, think, of way of thinking from, you know, being a chef. Because growing up as a chef and working in different kitchens, no one teaches you any management style. They don't teach you actually how to run a business. They teach you how to cook and that's it. Mm-hmm. So... You know, even opening Lume has been a huge learning curve. And we've been open two and a half years, nearly three years. And the amount of change in myself and, and the way that I deal with people has been huge just because, you know, I'm figuring out how to how to get the best out of out of my staff and mm-hmm. how to It's like being a first time parent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're making a few mistakes, you might, you know, drop them a couple of times, but <laughs> but but I think you know, we're both constantly evolving. As I said in my opening mantra, you have to evolve. You have to change constantly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you just get left behind because there's always other people nipping at your heels. Yeah. 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 I just made a note to come back to Ronnie. I want to know those unique things that you bring to the table that are get overseen. That, that's of interest to me. But you just said something that I want to go into a little bit deeper uh, mm-hmm. that you've evolved a lot over the past three years. And it's been two years since you guys have been on the show, almost yeah, two years. So I'm curious, since we last spoke, what are those things that you, that you can identify? How have you evolved? What are the key things that you do differently now? Well, I think just what we've been talking about is actually um, knowing when to just step back a little bit because as a chef, you're so accustomed to you know, being in the kitchen every day, like first one in, last one to go. It's not sustainable. It's, it's not sustainable because what ends up ends up happening is that I'm working in the kitchen as opposed to working on the business. Like I'm responsible for everyone that works here and, and the, you know, all the boring shit, like making sure we pay the bills and all that sort of thing. So if I'm not focusing on that and I'm focusing on filleting fish, you know, that's actually a waste of my time yeah. because I have other very skilled chefs that can do that for me yeah. and that's the whole point so we carry that across the whole business so ideally our, our goal here is to make ourselves redundant on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. we're still um, you know the, the buck still stops with us and we're still the the direction and the ideas and all that sort of thing but we very much get everyone involved in that so it just makes it a much stronger business yeah. so as a chef that was actually quite hard it took a long time to kind of change into that way of thinking because I think you've evolved into culture as well yeah I I think again that hospitality culture can be a bit uh, clicky Mm -hmm. and insular Mm -hmm. so I think just constantly looking outside for other sources other other sources of inspiration outside the hospitality industry like how do other people run their businesses how do they What's their management style? What skills do they have and, and use? And you've been very instrumental in... I think something that I pointed out to Sean a long time ago was that, you know, the hospitality industry has a lot of complaints about, you know, we don't have enough time in our day to do this. There's not enough work-life balance and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but every other industry in the world seems to have been working on this for decades. <laughs> like, they've already addressed this stuff. Why are you guys so far behind? Like, use them as an example. Mm-hmm. Like, just replicate what's worked before in other industries around the world and if we i guess i said if we apply that 
to ourselves, then we can only be more yeah. powerful. You know, I think the, 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 the restaurant industry is definitely a unique beast in the sense that the, the turnover is so high that it's so hard to get to that point where like you, you build somebody up to the point where they're almost ready to be on their own and then they go back to school for like whatever or they go to that place or they and it's just like, oh, I got to start all over again and build this yeah. person up. Yeah. Um, so what do you think it is uh, th- that is that you do at Lume that uh, allows you to retain people? You said you've been working with your head chef since 2010. Mm. So yeah. eight years you've yeah. been working together. Why does she stay beside you? <laughs> I don't know. I think she regrets it some days. Um, we have an electric fence. <laughs> I think because, again, like what we've been talking about, we give people opportunities. So... Um, what opportunity did you give her? Well, she walked into here as as head chef, so which is a first for her in this sort mm-hmm. of environment in a in like a, a fine dining mm-hmm. restaurant. Um, and I have complete faith in in her abilities. So it's again giving people uh, the opportunities that they might they might not have had before, and just making it happen. Is that her? Oh, <laughs> someone just walked in. I got excited. I was like, bring her over. Let's get her on the mic. Um, so, oh man, I lost my train of thought. Um, so one thing I am curious about, so she's the head chef, right? Mm. But if you look up Lume, you're not going to see her name. You're going to see chef Quaid's name. So how does she handle that? How do, how do, does she, is that a conversation that comes up? Yeah, I think that's, that's a very, a very common problem in restaurants all over the world because, and it's something that we're trying to change as well because I don't want people to think of Lume and think of my name. I want them to think of Lume and, and that's it because... It, it's something that's becoming more and more prominent in the media, just recognition of females in hospitality, especially in Australia. Uh, and just very, very recently, I think with all the Me Too campaigning, there's suddenly been a spotlight on it and people are suddenly getting recognition. So, you know, Aline's been with us for a long time now, um, in, yeah, in the scheme of things, and we've got a female restaurant manager, we've got a female business manager, but it's only been really recently that I've started being... Yeah. Con- like people have started contacting me for interviews mm-hmm. and they've started asking about Eileen. And um, I think that that's a really, really fantastic, progressive thing to have happened, but it's a shame that it's taken this long. Yeah, absolutely. I agree mm-hmm. with that for sure. Yeah. So what if she came to you and said, hey, I want to open a restaurant? What, mm-hmm. what, how would that go? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's always, there's always a possibility. Like <laughs> yeah. nothing's. I'm straight in new business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing's, nothing's impossible. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of fitting in, you know, what people want out of different positions, what they want out of, you know, working here or, or, or opening a new restaurant. So, again, like we, the the people that we have working here, like we're very transparent about how we run the business and like where we're going and especially looking at the project in LA, there's, there's people that are working here that are going to come over and do that with us. And we've been hiring people uh, in Australia that are going to work here specifically to go to LA. So we've given those people an opportunity and a platform to you know, get to the States. Mm-hmm. So, What I really love about our backers' ethos is the simplicity in that just make me money and I'll give you whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, okay, so let's bring it back to Ronnie because uh, I wrote down this note that the really dive into those unique things that get overlooked, uh, that the, the, the qualities you possess that aren't always uh, 
kind of acknowledge. So what are those those qualities that we need that you possess that are unique? I'll actually get Sean to oh. answer that better than I can. What are the things that I've... That <laughs> You're on the spot. Well, what's, what have you changed or done differently mm. that you wouldn't have thought of before? Uh, very much the, I mean, the marketing side of things and how to deal with um, the media is, has been a big change. Actually, yeah. I'll use that as an opportunity to talk about something where <laughs> something that we're really focused on is just that um, whole online media perspective because I had a career as a copywriter and was working um, more from a journalistic perspective before Sean met me. I know exactly how you know top ten lists, listicles, restaurant awards work and I can safely say that you're naive to think that advertising doesn't drive absolutely everything in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, even, I mean, I used to get really, really upset coming into the restaurant and, you know, another awards ceremony was on and perhaps the staff didn't feel like they placed in the ranking that they wanted and just seeing the deflated looks on their face, it's like it really, really, truly affects yeah, like, them. Yeah. But then explaining to them like, hey, you know though that that award was actually sponsored by, you know, this major coffee brand or you know major car company or something like it was all a paid ad yeah um and it, like this stuff just blew their minds i'll let sean explain more yeah i, th- I think that the the awards still have you know some relevance but i think decreasingly yeah more and more it's all about advertising oh, yeah. absolutely yeah for sure uh and i mean that's a key point one of the reasons why i really don't look at media anymore mm. when i'm trying to find guests for a show i i've gotten to the point where i know enough people in different communities where if i'm going someplace i'm like who do you respect like, like if i have a guest on the show and like that's why i ask like who's one person you respect and admire call them out and it just mushrooms from there and i'd much rather talk to the people that who those who are in the industry respect because that says a lot more to me than what the people are writing about who are just looking to you know it's so disingenuous. Just as yeah. soon as I think, as soon as you see that uh, a restaurant has big PR agency behind them, it's just a total turn off. Like, yeah. you and immediately don't trust it. The other really key important thing about that is like you you shouldn't get into this industry for the the fame, for the the acknowledgement, for like if that's why you're getting into this industry, you're mm-hmm. getting into it for the wrong reasons. You need to get into it because you love the work you do. And it's gonna be a hard road if you got into exactly. it. Exactly, <laughs> and I feel like there's so many false like people. They, 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 yeah, it's a very common problem. Yeah, because like yeah. the media is just so like just driven by like promoting these people and like every if you're like mm. an attention hungry person and that's why you're getting into this industry and you don't get that cookie at the end of the yeah. day, then and you're putting all this work into it, like you're going to burn out so fast. I think this is something that we touched on in the previous episode that we yeah. did with you, the mental health perspective. Like when you've got, there's just this increasing epidemic of chefs that literally are killing themselves. Yeah. That's how much pressure is on them and that's how much pressure there is to you know retain their michelin stars to mm. retain their hats to or even with like the, the yelp reviews like yeah. they have to take yeah. yelp like this person the schmuck and knows nothing about yeah. food you're gonna let them like break you down and i mean I, <laughs> like, what? I used to see sean come home after like obsessing over reviews online um it's like they take it so seriously yeah. that's actually a person and it's such a personal thing to have someone attack you on online yeah. media and that's like your restaurant is everything about you. You've put your absolute soul into yeah. it. It's crushing. You know, it's a kind of a, a, something I brought up the other day. Uh, it's like we like we know what hospitality is, right, to be hospitable. Uh, and we, we show up every day to to have those characteristics of hospitality, warmth, uh, you know, just 
giving, caring, and just existing for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at what point did we forget how to be a guest? To forget how to be grateful and just appreciative of like the like, you Sean, know. Sean can't forget because I've probably come to Lume more than any other customer, and am his harshest critic. Yeah, which <laughs> which I'm quite happy about. It's someone someone has to rein me in. <laughs> it's worked for us because I'm not from a hospitality perspective. I do often sit on the yeah. other side of it and can say, "Oh, this is, this might be how it appears to." Yeah. Others. Yeah. I think you need that switch in perspective. I think that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest things that you've brought to it's what we do. It's just eating all of your food. Well, that, that too. And I don't know if I'm quite picking up on what it is exactly that she's done. I think you guys know because you're on the same like wavelength and mm. it's, you're communicating, you know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Just right the now. boring business stuff. Okay. So <laughs> like organizing contracts, yeah. you know, managing media. Um, I think a lot of, trend analysis yeah so actually putting my economics degree to good use uh, I mean I'm delighted because when I I just love everything to do with markets and behavioral economics in particular which is very much based in psychology as well and you know if you do this then how will the market react Mm -hmm. Um, and you know I've worked in government for seven years before this I didn't love it um, and I never really found the real application that I wanted for it until I met Sean mm-hmm. and could finally bring my love of food and economics together um, <laughs> into this beautiful, beautiful meld. Um, and it, like, I'm so happy in that I finally get to use all of that knowledge that I studied for so long for a real practical application. Yeah. Um, you know, just price forecasting, uh, working out what's going to be in trend next year, you know, picking up on... Oh, all right, if we want to do restaurant number two, this is the process that's going to need to take. This is the, you know, putting the business plan together. This is why the market is so hot right now in this particular area. You know, this is why we can't open in New York, for instance, because mm-hmm. it doesn't tick the boxes that we need to run a viable business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I honestly think that we wouldn't be in the same financial position that we are right now if, yeah, we didn't have that perspective behind Lume because, I mean, the very fact that we started operating at a profit so soon in the evolution of the restaurant, I think is remarkable in itself. I think just keeping a restaurant open for more than a year is a remarkable feat. (laughs) But to be at this stage that we are at now, largely driven by the fact that we're using pre-ticketed dining, which has been critical to our success, I think. Why is Let's dive into that. Um, So pre-ticketed dining, why that approach? What is it about that approach that's appealing to you? Uh, As an economist, it means that we can predict our costs ahead of time. Uh, we have that immediate cash flow. So because people pay up front, we can immediately organise better rates with our suppliers. Mm-hmm. We can organise our staffing ahead of time so we don't have just idle resources sitting mm-hmm. around. Um, we can organise our food costings more effectively because we don't just have, you know, if you've got no-shows, that food can't be kept yeah. overnight in a restaurant I think we should like paint ours. the picture a little bit more just in case somebody isn't sure exactly what we're talking about. You use talk. Uh, and we talk it the way that works is you sell ticket to the experience. So right. on a Friday night, um, that experience is more valuable because there's a higher demand. So you can charge say uh, $200 for that experience, a flat rate. Here's the tasting menu. You know exactly who's coming in that day. Yep. So you can predict what it, it's not. It's not, you're not reactive. You're proactive. Uh, and you're exactly. also getting higher margins 
on the that experience when that space is more valuable. A restaurant seat, a table, a seat at a table at a restaurant, it's real estate. It loses its value immediately after the, you totally. can't get that back. So you got to get the most when the market's hot on a Friday night. Yeah, you know, it's like real estate. Like you know, the value goes up. So on I, a Tuesday night, it's $100 because, you know, it's not as valuable. So Like an airplane. Exactly. I'm totally with you on this. We actually, that's dynamic pricing, mm-hmm. which is used in many, many industries all around the world, not typically applied to hospitality. Um, and I'm really big on it, but we don't actually do that at Lume. Oh, okay. Our menus are the same price. Oh, okay. Every night of the week. I would love to use it here, but Sean won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, it is very different okay. um, for Australia. I don't think it's... Uh, I don't know how the market would accept that in Australia just yet. It might be a bit too soon. Yeah. yeah, I think it's working really well in the States. I mean, obviously, Alinea use it very, very effectively. Mm-hmm. But you've, I think the best application of it would be where you already do have a restaurant that's booked out at capacity or beyond, and that's when you can take it to the next step and yeah. start, you know, smoothing Instead of out turning people away, you go to the point where you, you create, uh, I guess... You, you weed out those who can afford it when it when you know, it's kind of a weird way of like I don't it's know. actually like concession pricing because it's not just I guess maximizing your profits by charging people more it's charging people more for certain times and letting them self select yeah if they're willing to pay that much to go at those premium windows yeah. for bookings and if they don't if they can't afford it then you charge less on the the slow period exactly. like on a Tuesday night where you would have quiet. empty real estate. Yeah, exactly. So it's just yeah. smoothing out your revenue over the course of the week. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, kind of lost. That was a cool little uh, side note there. Um, where are we? I mean, how much time? How much time? This is a great conversation. I'm losing track of time. Okay, we got. To, so, okay, let's dive a little bit more into uh, going to LA. This is kind of your baby, right, Ronnie? Like this, like uh, Lume is going to stay. Is it going to be a different name? Is it going to be like Lume Two, or how much different. can you give? Different name, okay. Uh, different name, slightly different concept, and you know we're not we're not going to take the exact restaurant that we have here and, and take it over there. Obviously, it's very much our style, but it will be reflective of yeah, reflective of you know what LA needs, what LA wants. So, so what does LA need? What does LA want? Is it too soon to say? Is this going to keep? <laughs> I at the time when I first went to LA, I wasn't impressed by the fine dining scene. Okay. It's just very very traditional, and I just thought, wow. It actually hit me how lucky we are in Melbourne. I mean, Melbourne is just... Well, Australia in general, you're right. There are so many amazing restaurants over here and you don't realise it until you travel overseas. You just take it for granted a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt like, goodness, if we were over there, I'm pretty sure we'd just kill it. Well, we don't know that for sure. We could fail miserably, but hey, we'll I'll knock on wood for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's really, I think the market over there is a lot more open to eccentric okay. creativity. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, it's just adapting to the right market. We knew that certain aspects of what we want to do don't really work in Melbourne, but it would probably be fantastic for there and vice versa. Okay. Um, and it was also a bit about the labour market here. So I don't think that they're creating any new hospitality workers anytime soon. They're not just coming out of some magical tree somewhere. Uh, and so we needed to think about looking into alternative labor market pools and different ways of doing things. Yeah. So that's a real driver behind yeah. it as well. So I feel like we're going to probably dive into that a little bit more after the, we took a break. Uh, anything that we can talk about, anything that uh, you want to do differently with this restaurant that you learned from maybe a mistake uh, with the first restaurant, uh, like, you know, hindsight being 2020, like what are you going to do different with the second restaurant? 
<laughs> uh, I there's heaps and heaps of things, but I think the biggest thing is actually having, I mean, right yeah, just a very airtight strategy of this is what we're going to do. We're going to follow it to the T. Still flexible, but you know we have a very definite purpose and goal that we want to achieve. What is that purpose and goal? Well, it's just it's basically following the business plan, having a business plan, and 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 sticking to it. That's why it's there. Um, I think, you know, Lume was my first restaurant and, you know, opening a restaurant, there's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of things that have to happen in order to get the doors open. Mm-hmm. And this is stuff that you wouldn't have known though. You have to do no, it. No, it's exactly yeah. like what I was saying before. Like, I, you know, I'm a chef. I'm not a, I'm not a businessman. I, I think I am on my way to being one now, but actually turning from a chef into a restaurateur is is a big step because it's basically learning on the job you don't you don't get taught that sort of thing and that's been a huge learning curve for me so i think with restaurant number two we're very very well equipped to actually you know be successful right from the beginning as opposed to really slogging it out so and then with restaurant number three we'll do it better again yeah so get specific um what are the key things you're going to do you're going to, you know, follow your, your, your plan, your mission. Mm. Uh, can you get like really specific as to like, like map it out real quick for us? Yeah. Not hire a fashion media agency to do a big PR launch. No, no, no. It's, it's, what uh, was that, Ronnie? I don't think it, we picked it up in the mic. Um, not hiring a big flashy PR agency to do a blogger, you know, influencer. Is that what you did the first launch? time? Yeah. I wasn't involved. Um, but that's, <laughs> well, because Sean and the team, wouldn't have known any differently like that's just what you do when you're opening a venue whereas i come in and i'm like no 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 you don't need to spend your money on this like yeah there's way more effective ways that we so can what are do the this. effective ways to do it um i think the way that we did the marketing for lume was very counterintuitive so my rule with because i'm involved in marketing myself now um it's pretty much look what everyone else is doing and do the exact opposite mm. and that's how we succeeded with this one give me an example uh i call it the nick cave approach i don't know if you know who that is but for the u.s audience nick cave is a musician in australia rock royalty um who's very well known for refusing to do any interviews um and is a very mysterious creative character <laughs> uh but i pretty much told sean all right just ignore all Australian media, say no to all interviews um, and just artificially create that hype. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, even though we took that approach over here, we're actually doing a lot of media overseas um, and growing our traction over there, yeah. growing our profile um, overseas. And then gradually that began to filter yeah. back into Australia and we finally started to get recognised okay. <laughs> over here, um, I think. One example is being on your podcast. Oh. <laughs> um. I think uh, one aspect of uh, Australian culture is that we, we're, we're such a, a young country. We don't have a very, very uh, strong traditional food culture. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very new. Everything's new here because um, and when I say young country, I mean like our colonial history, not the, yeah. you know, the history of the actual you know, the Aboriginal people. But... Um, we, have, we very much have a culture of looking elsewhere for inspiration as opposed to actually innovating here. I feel like this is a good time to take a break to thank our yeah. sponsors and we'll be right back because the second part of this conversation is going to be about the differences between the Australian market and the US market. So cool. uh, we can t- take a quick break. We'll be right back. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. 
<laughs> Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks. That stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call one 6683006691 mention restaurant unstoppable and receive 10% off your first 3 months and say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with sorcery ap automation to be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. All right, we're back, and I kind of want to use a, the the time we have left together to dive into uh, kind of like the the uniqueness of the Australian market, how it's different than the American market. Because I'm going to be spending, uh, I was hoping to record a bunch of interviews out here. I'll be honest, being realistic, I didn't take into consideration that it's Easter weekend. <laughs> I got maybe like two more days after today to get some recordings done. So everyone's either away or yeah, busy. I, yeah. I might get like three more recordings while I'm out here, which would be great. Yeah. But maybe what we can do is line up some recordings when I get back to the States and just do some remote recording. But anyway, um, I don't really know much about the Australian market. So mm. I want you guys to kind of maybe shine some light on like some of the differences and some of the, maybe some of the things that frustrate you about the Australian market mm. or some of the things that frustrate you about the American market and the different, I don't know. Let's just kind of pick up anywhere. So um, I think uh, the Australian market is very, very unique because as I was saying before, we're, we're a very young country and we don't have a very, very strong traditional food culture where it's like, you know, thousands of years of like, this is how we cook this dish, this is how we cook that dish. Everything's very completely... Very difficult to define. Yeah. Which it's, is it's, actually something that I noticed like right away. Like I asked, like I was like, when was Australia settled? And somebody was like, oh, like 17. I'm like... No one actually knows. So. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, the Aborigines got here 40,000 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, but like seriously, like, you know, the United States was like 14 something. I can't remember the exact mm. date. 70, I can't remember the date. I should know these things. But uh, 
it blows my mind that like we were going west, but we never thought to go south. And all of a sudden, like this massive piece of land. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. but this is such a side. I'm so no, it's really interesting. different. Just, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, keep, pick it up from where you left off. So specifically with hospitality, we've um, in the past uh, looked mainly to Europe, to be honest, to because that's where um, you know most of our ancestors have come from. You know, my ancestors are Danish and German. And I think as a young chef, like even when I was, um, you know, cooking and, and finishing my apprenticeship, it's like the dumb thing was to go to Europe and, and work in Michelin star kitchens. And I think that's had a huge influence on how restaurants have been here in the past. Um, very European influenced, um, you know, the style of food the ingredients used all that sort of thing and i think in the last 10 years very much in the last five years we started to find our own our own kind of like very unique style because australia is actually very multicultural you know we have a, a huge um chinese population mm-hmm. vietnamese population indian population there's there's all different sorts of uh um cultures that yeah, you're kind of like equidistant from a lot of different, like, you know, India yeah. is not too far away. Yeah. You got like Thailand and all the, like, uh, exactly. like Korea, J- Japan. It's all like right there, like yeah. to the north. So. And because everything's very, very new, like we, we have the freedom to actually uh, do pretty much whatever we want on, on menus. And yeah. I think more and more, especially in 2018, you know, we have the opportunity to use more and more of our, our native produce that's been here for, you know, thousands thousands of years hundreds of thousands of years um and we have access to that now and people are starting to embrace it but then we also have our um our colonial past which is still very much a huge influence on what's seen as australian cuisine um you know i grew up eating meat and three veg yeah very american too like you know meat and yeah yeah, there's meat on every plate yeah um one thing that you that i you just mentioned that's I think is kind of interesting the the pain that you're feeling as far as like what's what's our identity I mean America's kind of the same way where like it's a melting pot of cultures Uh, but I think the really interesting interesting thing is we've gotten to a point where we can't do food much better like you can't do classics better so like what what would determine your success in the past is how good are you at doing the classics right Mm. and like you know the staples but now everybody can pretty much do those things just as good as each other because you can get like the information's out there like you can learn how to do it like we have the internet like google it you know like you know the standard but what's gonna and then after that it was like okay well who has the best ingredients like that will determine what's best we've gotten to the point where like how can we do this better and i don't think it's those who do it better that are gonna be successful in the the future it's gonna be who's doing something that no one's ever done before yeah it's who has something to say exactly who's the most creative and i think that's where people are gonna really shine because if you create something, you're instantly number one at doing that thing because you've, nobody's ever done it before. So, Funnily enough, that was part of our initial marketing strategy at Lume as well. It yeah. was to pretty much redefine what we were as a restaurant and, hey, maybe we're not even a restaurant because yeah. everyone knows at this point we hire actors and musicians and yeah. artists and stuff. And the whole idea was, you know, I don't even want to compete in these award yeah. ceremonies anymore. So let's just create our own category where we're automatically number one. And have yeah, like look at the Corona. Look at the Corona, right? Like instant, like fame because yeah, nobody's exactly. ever done it, and like yeah. you're the best at that. Yeah. Uh, but I had a great interview with uh, Karen Page and her husband. Um, I can't remember his first name, last name's like Dornenberg. 
uh, from, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the vegetarian Bible, the food Bible, uh, yeah. like all those, uh, becoming a chef, yeah. all those yeah, books. Yeah, and their latest book is kitchen creativity. And that's exactly that. Like, to that yeah, getting to the point where like you, now you're creating your own thing. I think that's really what's going to determine those, those brands that, ex, you know, that make it in the future. Mm. Um, I hope we're not too much of a sidetrack. We're, we're talking about like, uh, Australian market and how it's different. <laughs> um, but keep going. Sorry. So where was, where was I at? I, yeah, I have a tendency of throwing people off topics. <laughs> when you went to LA last year, mm. like you definitely saw a different perspective of how the industry operates there. Well, I think getting back to your question before, like what 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 are some things that we changed with with business number two? So yeah. uh, when we opened Lume, like we did it, we did a few interviews, and and you know, being a young chef and a first time, you know, restaurateur, like you're very passionate and you want to you know, you want everyone to know this is what you're going to do. So that's exactly what I said in, in a few interviews where, you know, we stated that this is what we're going to do. We want to be on these lists. We want to be in the same league as these restaurants, which, you know, you know top 50 restaurants and, and the best in Australia. And people, I, I think, took that the wrong way. I was severely misquoted in an interview as well, which didn't help, but um, uh, people very much took that the wrong way because we don't we don't celebrate... Um, people doing innovative things here. Mm-hmm. It's very much it's very much part of Australian culture that we don't like arrogance. Um, we don't like people to talk themselves yeah. up. Uh, so I think we suffered greatly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it wasn't it wasn't really talking ourselves up. It was just stating like this is the sort of restaurant that we're going to do. But it's yeah. seen as arrogant. It's yeah. seen as arrogant. So, and um, going to the states where it's it's not. <laughs> I have to wear this very carefully. <laughs> it's not seen as, you know, you guys, you guys celebrate yeah. people saying like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to be the best at doing this. Yeah. It's not seen as arrogance. It's seen as like, oh, cool. Those guys have go something to say. Yeah. Like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Make it happen. You. But it was just, it was so overwhelming to be there and have so much support. It was a yeah. real shock. And who knows if people are just saying that, but it was, I just couldn't believe how supportive people were everywhere we when they just wanted to get behind yeah. us and yeah another thing that's come up just in other conversation is how australia is kind of slow to adopt technology um do you want to dive into that <laughs> yeah um australia is not exactly known for its innovation yeah so what i was touching on before with we and not just in hospitality but in many many industries we always look to the states or to europe or to anywhere else because uh, I, I think it's in our culture. Like every, everyone has a fair go. Like everyone, you know, help your mates out and all that sort of thing. But that doesn't necessarily encourage people to do something completely different. It's very much encouraging people to do what other people do to kind of fit in. So we don't have a strong culture of innovation in Australia, and people just tend to do it what's safe. Yeah, and because we're a fairly remote country as well, like we're very separated from the rest of the world. And we're such a big country. I just want to interject with one thing. Yeah. There, there was someone, a very influential Australian hospitality mogul, <laughs> who said on a panel discussion last year at a big hospitality conference, like, do not worry, guys, Australia is safe from digital disruption, which I think speaks for itself. <laughs> so we'll dive into that. Uh, why, why did that shock Actually, no, I can't. The mind just boggles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this guy... Um, he... Runs a large hospitality group. I think it's actually the largest hospitality group in Australia. Um, but 
they were they were talking on a panel, like a food panel at a at a at a conference, like one of the big conferences in Australia, and basically said like you know the industry is great the way it is; it's never going to change. Where you know, don't worry, don't worry nothing's going to disrupt it. It's like oh, for fuck's sake, like really? <laughs> like, don't say what you're thinking. I feel like you're holding back. No, say what like, you're thinking. To me, the only people that would say that are people that are using archaic processes that don't understand technology and are fearful. What do you mean by safe from digital? What do you mean? Like, how is digital going to hurt? You know, like new bookings platforms like Talk or um, just there's so much new, even Tipsy, for instance. So they look at like innovation as a threat. Yeah. And I can only imagine that that's because they don't understand it. You know, this is from a big restaurant group that's had, you know, an edge on the market for years and years and years. And so, yeah, they're very comfortable. Now all of these new competitors are coming up in it. Yeah. I imagine they're not really happy to embrace that. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, guys, you know, technology is the devil. <laughs> Throw some holy water on it kind of thing. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, what you're going to use Tipsy as an example. What were you going to say? How are they an example of that? Uh, just because we, yeah, we've been looking at Tipsy for ages. I have a lot of respect for the platform. And, I mean, for those that don't know, in Australia, Tipsy are actually based in Melbourne, and which is what why they flew me out here. I came in and them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they record videos. Am I right? Educational yeah. videos, so that you know restaurants can train their staff. Yeah, the, the mission. What we're doing is actually very similar in the idea of like you go to the best to learn from the best, uh, and you surround yourself with the best. But they what they've created is a way to have courses, or they have instructors essentially, like yeah. short like videos of the, the, the best baristas in the world, the best sommeliers in the world, the best servers in the world, teaching how to approach a table, how yeah. the difference between pouring wine versus champagne. And like, you name it, like across the boards, like that's what they do. And they put these on like a, a, a platform so you can pick and choose what pertains to your restaurant and you create a curriculum around it for training. Exactly. It's, and it's all available online so people can watch it anytime. And we, we've done that at a small scale for ourselves, just recording our own training videos just because it – Saves on training costs. Like yeah. if you've got staff, new staff coming in, it means you don't have to go through that whole curriculum. Again, it's just available there like a manual. Yeah. Um, but what we notice is that no one else in Australia knows who Tipsy are. Yeah, and they're right here insane. in the city. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so that just speaks I think to. That's me. a very good example. Is that they're based in Melbourne, but they don't have much of a Melbourne presence. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure they've done that on purpose. <laughs> just because, uh, no, as we were speaking before, because they probably know their market is yeah. not in Australia. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, good example. So, you know, I, to kind of uh, play devil's advocate, I kind of understand where like this mogul was coming from in the sense, like, you use Open Table as an example. Where Open Table created such a niche and they've created such a solution that they almost forced you into using their platform. Yeah. And the, like, they were also, like, the, the, the cost you were paying yeah. to, like, they were taking a percentage of every transaction. Like Yeah, you know? And it's, like, kind of like, mm-hmm. you get forced into these situations that, if, well, if I'm not on open table, yeah. then I'm not going to get discovered and people aren't going to eat my restaurant. And yeah. I can see how that's kind of, like, a, you know, that's one example of, like, the opposite on how digital can be kind of an issue. But I think that was early on when it was easier for these tech companies to take over a market. Yeah. But now you have open table, resi reserve, you know, so many competitors yeah. where, and they're you know, all closing in. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you thinking? <laughs> Sean had a look of deep thought on his face. 
Well, he was just I, thinking what to have for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I, I think, like, my point before with, with the industry here, I, I mean, I love the industry here, and there's so many great chefs and great, um, you know, restaurateurs and people working here. Um, I just, I would love to see us open our minds a bit more and trust that, you know, from a chef's point of view, I think we're you know, charging ahead and people looking more and more to Australia for inspiration as mm. opposed to the other way because there's so many unique things about Australia. We have amazing produce and it's such a big country and it's very diverse. Um, but I think from the actual industry, the way that we um, operate in the industry, there's so many different ways that we could be doing things better and more efficiently that affect every single restaurant. And again, like a perfect example is that we use TOC, we're literally the only restaurant in the Southern Hemisphere that uses TOC. We're the only restaurant in Australia that sells, you know, tickets to, to dinner. And it's, it just hasn't been adopted here. It's worked yeah, really, people, really... People yeah. still complain that they've got no shows. Yeah, it, it's a huge problem worldwide. But Wait, people still complain that they got no shows? What do you mean? Oh, like restaurants, restaurant owners. Oh, other... It's, okay, I was going to say yeah. no shows with TOC. Okay, I yeah, got you. Yeah, so we... Before we adopted Talk, we were we'd been open for about five months, and you know we're losing same as every restaurant in town. You know we're losing a certain amount of money each week to no shows or people changing the amount of diners on a table, and you know everyone 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 talks about it, and it's a huge problem, and it costs the industry hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably millions of dollars every year, with people just not showing up to bookings or reducing. Pay. Or reducing tables. So, what are we going to do about it? No one does anything about it. It's there's been a few platforms like Dimmy had a, a, a blacklist option, which is very. I think it's a very short-sighted way to look at it's not a problem. But... It's not very hospitable, yeah. and that's you know we're hospitality. We yeah. still we want people to come to our restaurants. We're not trying to yeah, punish them. You know, it's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's one more thing I did want to touch on. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, and I, uh, I guess I'm playing devil's advocate again. You're saying one of the reasons that you're attracted to the Los Angeles market is because of the opportunity and the the potential staff, uh, more people, more people that yeah. are aligned with what you want to do. But I kind of want to challenge you there a little bit because even over there, like one of the biggest challenges in the industry right now is finding good people. There's an epidemic. Yeah, very much aware of that. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, I've, and that's kind of one thing I want to talk about is this epidemic of oversaturation uh, of restaurants. Uh, and I noticed it here, too, just walking down the street. Every other retail outlet is a restaurant. Yeah. And is that something that you guys are experiencing here, like an oversaturation of the market? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. And, and even more here, like what I was saying before, if you can run a restaurant here and make money, I think you can literally do it anywhere in the world because there's such a huge, there's huge competition for restaurants and there's so many. And specifically in Melbourne and Sydney, it's, it's completely saturated and we just don't have the staff mm. to fill these restaurants. I feel like if we can succeed in a fine dining venue that sells tickets <laughs> and asks people to prepay before they come in for dinner... We're good. We're, good. Yeah. we're pretty good. So, I mean, we're very much aware that it's very similar in the States. But the, the thing about the States is that the population is, is exponentially bigger. Yeah. Like, as I said before, we, have actually, we actually have a, a very small population here. Um, and there's a very finite amount of people that will spend money on a restaurant like Lume. 
and that's where the opportunity in the states is because there's there's just more money there's more people that are willing to spend that money on restaurants yeah, yeah. and in the location that we've chosen in particular there's a lot of tourism traffic mm-hmm. coming Where, in on a weekly basis what about that location is unique it's just like we're looking at West Hollywood okay so you can imagine there's people coming in on mm-hmm. a daily basis that, yeah. I mean we're not the kind of restaurant that you go to every week yeah so even if you know in Melbourne there's a very small number of people that are going to come you know, more than once or twice a year yeah. to our venue. So we do need to rely on that ongoing mm-hmm. tourism traffic. One thought I did have earlier, I'm happy you uh, came back into my head, is the idea, are, are you going to be using your Australian, um, that that fact that you are like one of the best Australian restaurants as like a unique selling proposition that we're different? We, like this is yeah. something like, how are you going to take that approach? Is it? We're going to be really focusing on a lot of Australian na- native ingredients okay. um, over there and Australian wines okay. as well, uh, just because... I think from our experience when we were last over there, we just noticed that it yeah. it wasn't available there. Yeah. So it's something new, something novel. Stand out, yeah. Um, but also, I'll let Sean speak more to this, but I think he was just so excited by the produce that was over there. And I guess it challenges you in a new way as well. Like how can you, how can you use your techniques coming from Australia um, with those ingredients? It's just a new perspective on things like we've just been talking about, yeah. merging those cultures. So it's what people... That's what excites people, seeing things done differently. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I've been talking to a few different farmers and foragers in, in California. And again, just as Ronnie was saying, like merging, like my style at the moment uh, for the dishes is, is very, you know, it's modern Australian. But it's like, what is modern Australian? And it's a huge melting pot of all these different cultures. But it's actually very similar to California. Exactly. Exactly, and the produce is. I'm very not sure if we picked that up, but it's actually very similar to what's available in California. Our style of food, yeah. so it just seemed like a really natural, yeah, progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually really, really excited about the produce there, and uh, you know, obviously, I'm Australian. I've spent my whole. I'm pretty sure you're saying produce. Produce. Yeah. Okay. Produce, I was, yeah. You guys say it a little different. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. All right. Cool. Produce. <laughs> um, I'm very, very excited about what's available there. And even doing that dinner with Ludo last year, um, what was available was amazing. Like everything's just fresh, delicious. Yeah. You know, the flavor's amazing. The citrus out of this world. So it very much suits my style of cooking. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're at the point where we're going to start thinking about wrapping this thing up. I want to make sure we don't leave anything that, you know, you wanted to get out there. Like, let's put it on the table now. So is there anything that we haven't discussed up to this point, anything we should know or anything I should know about the Australian market? Being here, we're going to be talking to a lot of your people. In the, just coming. get amongst it and enjoy it, Eric. Yeah, you just know. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Seriously, we were talking, like, I got here and I'm, like, I'm <laughs> like, literally, like, a week ago, like, this was m- maybe a possibility that I'd be yeah. in Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne. Sorry. I did it again. Uh, and... Uh, I'm running around like a crazy person trying to like just straight like try to get things lined up interviews while I'm in town and I'm stressed out and then I just stopped and said to myself like dude you're on the other side of the planet in this beautiful city like be present just go out there and meet people and plant seeds and I might not get a lot of interviews while I'm in town but uh, Ronnie had put it out there she might just take me take me out so you said it i'm gonna pick you up on that offer because uh, that sounds like a pretty good way just to get out there and, and yeah it's a beautiful city and leads. you can eat very very well here there's some amazing oh, it's gorgeous. people to talk to so, yeah yeah so this has been a lot of fun guys uh thank you so much for uh for helping me out really like i think ronnie sent me a list of maybe like 
at least 15 people that I needed to connect with. I think I have a total of 30 now compared to, <laughs> between what you and Tipsy gave me. And uh, We've got a lot of amazing competitors in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, like always, when we wrap up, we, we call some folks out. So let's make it official. Who are the people I need to talk to from Melbourne? Did I do it right that time? Was that Melbourne? Yeah, Melbourne? Sounds very good. Yeah, very good. Sweet. Well, I, as I think, you know, I've suggested Clinton from Amaru, who we have a lot of respect for. He's doing some amazing food. Yeah, he uh, actually he did sign up, so he will be one of my on-site interviews while I'm here. Amazing. So I'm excited for that. Um, and perhaps Kate from Loon Croissant. Yeah, she'd be very interesting to talk to. Uh, she's just spectacular businesswoman um, and croissant queen. Yeah. And you definitely have to have one of her croissants as well. Mm. Um, you should definitely talk to T from Anchovy, okay. which is in Richmond. So amazing little restaurant. And again, just chef-owned, chef operated. Really interesting um, backstory. Yeah, really interesting backstory. She's, and she's a lovely person. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, before I say goodbye, I, I should let the folks at home know how can we follow you? How can we um, stay in the, loop with, in, the, in the loop with what you're doing out in Hollywood? What's the best way to connect? Instagram? Yeah, Instagram for the restaurant. Uh, Instagram is restaurant underscore Lume, L-U-M-E. Um, what's your... And Insta- mine is at Mr. Harry's Mark. On Instagram? Yep. Websites, restaurantlume.com. Yep, and if you guys head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Ronnie, uh, and we'll say Ronnie Wade, if you go to restaurantunstoppable.com, or sorry, Quaid, I just said, I'm, I have a... <laughs> I have uh, your friend, uh, Mr. Chef Wade, coming on the yeah, show. I'm confusing I confuse you guys. them all the time. Too. Yeah, so let me try that again. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Ronnie Quaid. Uh, that's Q-U-O-D-E, right? A-D. Oh, A-D. Jesus, I'm on a roll right now. <laughs> Q-U-A-D-E. Uh, I'll have a link to the, the tools that I recommended in today's conversation and how to connect with them all over there. And uh, guys, thank you again for coming on the show for a second time and just being huge uh, supporters of what I'm doing. Uh, seriously, like the two of you have been so supportive, giving me leads, uh, connecting me with people, uh, and just you've always been there. So uh, a Absolute sincere pleasure. thank you. A yeah. sincere thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us back, Eric. Oh, my pleasure as well. It's nice right. to meet you in person. Too. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. This is great. <laughs> there is no questioning you guys yeah. are unstoppable. Well, there is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable, and it was a good one. I knew it was going to be a good one. Chef Quaid and Veronica Phil never disappoint. Uh, Some great takeaways from today's conversation. I think the big takeaway, the beginning half of this conversation is just the power of knowing your lane, doing what you do best. For Chef Quaid, that is being the creative mind for Veronica, it's doing all the shit that nobody else wants to do. The economist type stuff, the sales projections, the the branding and, and the uh, just the, you know, not a lot of uh, fun stuff there. I mean, I, I, I guess it depends on who you are, but that's Veronica's jam. And then what they do is they just delegate and empower their people to do all the other stuff that they don't like doing and that they're not necessarily even good at. And if you get out of the way and you let these people who are better than you at certain things just excel or people are contributing in a way that is just far more uh, impactful than just giving them a job and telling them to do it. And, uh, you know, you're getting the people, as uh, Jim Collins would say, on your bus 
and in the right seats and you're getting out of the way and uh, everybody everybody wins at the end of the day. Uh, and I love how Veronica pointed out that this just is, it just doesn't happen. It takes constant gentle pressure, constantly working at it. And uh, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline to continuously focus on building up this team, empowering your team. But in the long run, it does pay off. And then the second half of this conversation, a lot of talk around uh, some of the differences between the states and Australia. I, I love that uh, the states kind of has this reputation within the Australian eye of being very open, very supportive of one of one another, which I think is really cool. And I've noticed that too, that the most successful restaurateurs in this industry don't look at each other as competitors, but more uh, partners and they collaborate and they, they support each other and it's not me versus you, but it's us. And how can we work together to learn from each other, to, to share knowledge, to, uh, collaborate and do things as one, not as me versus you. Very powerful. Uh, so that's cool that they recognize that too. And then lastly, this is a whole conversation around uh, how Australia is a little slow to pick up technology and there may be, uh, they shy away from it. They see it as a threat. But the truth is there's a lot of challenges on the horizon for us and this industry. And we can use technology uh, to give us an edge to spread the margins. And I think uh, a good example of that is talk uh, talk that reservations platform that we're talking about the pre-ticketed and dynamic pricing platform that allows you to get the most for the dining experience during certain hours. And uh, it allows you to really close and tighten up those margins because you're, you can project, you know exactly who you're going to have in your restaurant when, so you don't, you know, over purchase. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to leveraging technology. So be open-minded. All right, guys, um, that's it for today. Like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter slash restaurants unstoppable on Facebook. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what challenges you're having. Tell me what topics you want covered. I'm here to serve you. I need you to know that. And then also, uh, I'm going to be headed back on the road, uh, wrapping things up in Thailand right now. going to be going back to the East Coast, probably spending a month in Maine in my cabin on the lake. Looking forward to that time to do some deep work and to plan out a route to get back on the road. I want to head out west. Um, Nothing's definite yet. But if you reach out to me and you let me know that you have a spot for me to crash, whether that's a driveway for me to park my car and sleep in my car or uh, a spot on the floor to put my air mattress or a couch or even a spare bedroom, I'll take anything. Every little bit helps. Uh, I want to head out to the northwest starting Washington, maybe work my way down the coast for a few months. So let me know if you got a spot for me to crash. And uh, yeah. The best way to support the show, though, is just by sharing it. If you know of anybody who's aspiring to do great things in this industry and needs a little motivation, needs a little pick-me-up, let them know about Restaurant Unstoppable. You are the average of the people you surround yourself with. And with Restaurant Unstoppable, you can surround yourself with the best. All right, guys. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.